Welcome to UK Health Radio. You are listening to the Speech and Language Therapy Show hosted by Shamina Rabi, a consultant speech and language therapist and founder of Unlocking Language, an award-winning independent practice that provides speech and language therapy to both adults and children. She is dedicated to raising awareness about speech, language, communication and swallowing difficulties and empowering those who have them. Welcome to UK Health Radio, your global good feel radio, and you are listening to the Speech and Language Therapy Show. This is Shamina, and I hope you're all well. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about sensory feeding difficulties in autism. As I mentioned, throughout the month of December, we are going to be covering different topics around autism. And today, we have a fantastic speech and language therapist with us called Sarah who works with children who have dysphagia or feeding, swallowing difficulties in combination or as a result with their autism. So I'm sure many of us can relate to the challenges of trying to feed picky eaters, yet this is not uncommon and is often resolved with time. However, children on the autism spectrum may be more restrictive in their food choices than what is typical, and this selectively may extend beyond the early childhood years presenting challenges for families, including distressing mealtimes. Food selectivity in children with autism spectrum disorders can be affected by both behavioural and environmental problems, and one of the consistent themes relates to food textures, how foods look, how they feel or smell, Um, And these can be common sensory factors for individuals with autism. The temperature texture needs to be just right or have perfect uniformity. Needless to say, this can be taxing at times. Um, Yet children with autism can be reasonably healthy eaters and enjoy a wide range of foods. Um, So today we'll be exploring um, more of the strategies that can be done at home to address eating and feeding problems, to lead to more pleasant mealtime routines, um, sort of red flags that you can be looking out for if you're uh, working in the education system or are a parent. Uh, with a child with autism or querying autism um, and we'll have lots of sort of um, discussion around sensory feeding uh, difficulties with the therapist coming to join us for today's session. Okay so today in the show we have specialist speech and language therapist Sarah Watkins-Baker. Sarah graduated from the University of Cape Town in South Africa with a distinction in a Bachelor of Science degree in speech and language pathology Her experience comes from multiple settings in both private and government sectors, which includes hospitals, schools, clinics, and working with both adults and children with a range of speech, language, communication, and swallowing difficulties and disorders. She's developed a particular interest in children with swallowing and feeding difficulties and previously worked with neonates and children with feeding difficulties within the acute setting. Sarah is currently in mainstream primary and secondary schools, as well as running a clinic with early years and complex needs. Since working in the UK, she has attended the SOS Approach to Feeding Training and is now a Level 1 basic provider. And she has been working with children with sensory feeding difficulties in the clinic, as well as starting to support children, again with feeding difficulties in the school setting. So welcome, Sarah, to the Speech and Language Therapy Show. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. It's great to have you here. And as I was saying to you earlier, that this month in December, each week, we are dedicating a topic related to autism um, and, and children on the aut autistic uh on the autistic spectrum disorder. This month we are dedicating um, our shows to speech and language, communication and swallowing difficulties in relation to autism. Okay, so that's a very, very interesting and very impressive CV. So tell me, how did you get into paediatric dysphagia? Um, well, I think back home in South Africa it kind of works a bit differently. You trained in both paediatric and adult dysphagia. Okay. And um, Basically, after we graduate, we do a year where we work in um, a government setting for the government, kind of a way of, you know, giving back and providing a service. Okay. Um, so, basically, I was placed in a hospital in quite a rural town in South Africa, and I worked with pretty much everything and anything that came my way. Mm -hmm. So, I worked with both children and adults, and... Um, I did have quite a few, uh, or quite a few cases um, with uh, children with feeding and swallowing difficulties, um, and also worked with neonates that had some feeding difficulties and kind of helping supporting them and getting them back onto breastfeeding. And um, when you say neonates, what age are we talking about? So usually most of them were premature babies. Mm -hmm. um, or just babies that had specific feeding difficulties, like they couldn't suck or things like that. Um, so we would, as a speech therapist, would go in and kind of assess them and help the moms feed them in the best way that they can. So yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. We did a few blocks at university, okay. but my actual working experience started there with working with children with uh, feeding difficulties and I think that's really where the interest kind of started and grew. And and it's vast isn't it paediatric dysphagia I mean you can work with as you said neonates all yeah. the way up to young people at 16. Exactly. And with different medical conditions such as Down syndrome or cerebral palsy so having yeah. an organic swallow difficulty as well as something sensory yeah, related. exactly. So there are a range of feeding and swallowing difficulties mm. um, that, you know, you will present in children. As you said, whether this will be an organic problem where, you know, their swallow safety is effective and there's maybe a structural reason for that, or it just might be sensory related, like a food aversion. Um, so it is quite a range and uh, every child kind of presents differently. Okay, so just so that our listeners know, today we will be talking about sensory difficulties um, or sensory feeding difficulties. Yeah. Is that the term that's used? Yeah, generally that's the that's term that we would use. So, so what does that mean? What, what are sensory feeding difficulties? So these are just feeding difficulties that are related to sensory issues. So feeding is a very complicated task. Um, so generally we think of it is quite simple. In fact, we don't think much about it when we eat something and swallow something. It's mm -hmm. fairly automatic. Um, but it is actually a learned behaviour and it actually is extremely complicated. I'm sure you working with adults would you understand. Absolutely. Um, so it involves all our organ systems and involves all our sensor, senses as well as our muscles. Um, so kind of when our the sensory aspect of that is effective, it can have an impact on eating or feeding. 
Um, and some children that have sensory issues or like a sensory processing disorder, they can be either um, hypersensitive or hyposensitive. And basically, if you're hypersensitive, it means you overreact to certain stimuli, and if you hypo, you underreact. Okay. Um, and both these things can impact on eating and feeding and make it difficult. Also, if a child is not regulated, they are likely to have feeding difficulties. So regulated means that they're able to manage and cope with their um, senses, basically. Okay. Yeah, so they're able to, they're regulated, they're able to focus on what's in front of them, they're able to focus on eating and kind of the process of eating, um, and then they're able to eat well. But if they are dysregulated, um, and even if they have the oral motor skills, they might still have those difficulties with feeding. And so you, you briefly touched on hypo and hypersensitivity. Yeah. What does that look like when a child has got feeding problems? So let's start with hypersensitive or hypersensitivity uh, because this is something that you can very clearly see in children so if you had to um, it kind of depends which senses are affected so mm -hmm. if a child is visually over um, overreactive to stimuli then you'll very clearly see that so he might avoid eye contact he might try to push it away um, or have you know a complete meltdown because he's completely visually overstimulated by whatever foods in front of him. Um, just like if you have tactile issues, uh, these children aren't going to like textures. They're gonna you're gonna see things like finger splaying if they accidentally touch something, for example, that's moist or wet. Okay. You're gonna see them immediately. And they dislike that. And they dislike that, mm. or they're gonna push it away. Okay. Um, so those are the kind of things that you might notice. Uh, if a child's under-responsive, uh, a good example is with taste, for example, they might take a lot to kind of alert them so for example you, they might really like really spicy or sour foods and that's the kind of the only thing that gets them um aroused or something like that so those are kind of and it's the same with you know movement these these children that are under responsive responsive might um yeah so children who are under responsive uh as i said it might take a lot to kind of alert them and get them, get them going exactly yeah. get them going okay um so you might have to do lots of like movement based activities so those are kind of those children they're kind of understimulated ah, that's very interesting yeah. so i usually leave um questions from our listeners um till the end of the show but i'm going to change it slightly because i feel it will help us with the direction of our conversation um so uh, a mum has called in and um well not called in written in and said that um, her child, who has a diagnosis of autism, uh, is four years old, but um, eats one particular food all the time. Actually, he just likes fish fingers, so he wants fish finger sandwich, or fish fingers for lunch, fish fingers for dinner, and that's quite difficult because yeah. he's at school now, um, even for breakfast. What is that? What is it when a child wants to just eat one type of food all the time? Uh, so that is something that we call a food jag, Okay, food and, jag. Yeah, and it's generally when a child 
eats the same food over and over and over again. So um, it also can be, they like that food prepared in the same way. Okay. So maybe it's the same shape or it's cooked in the exact same way. Basically, they like that food presented that way over and over again. Um, and a lot of children, uh, even typically developing children, might you know, go through this and I'm sure, I don't know if you've had any examples with your kids. Um, Absolutely, they get stuck on wanting to eat just chicken nuggets. Exactly. The same packet of crisps again and again and again. Yes. Um, not that I give them crisps all the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they, they do latch onto something that they really enjoy. Exactly. Um, so it is something that children do kind of sometimes go through. Uh, but kind of when we become concerned is... Um, that they may eventually get bored or burn out with this food. Um, and then this kind of becomes the problem where they could possibly completely eliminate that food from their from the range of foods that they eat. Um, and this can be quite limiting. So some children uh, will be fine and they will take a break from that food and they will be able to come back and start eating that food again okay. but with some children they might completely eliminate this and they won't eat it again or it might take an extremely long time. So what can this mum do who is saying that at the moment all he wants is fish fingers? So with food jags uh, one of the recommendations that or what parents can do at home is offer the preferred foods so the foods that the child really likes every other day so you're kind of changing it up so they're not having the same foods every single day you're offering it every other day um also if it's if it's quite or difficult or really this is like the only food that the child will eat uh you kind of want to start making very small changes to that food maybe the shape the color the texture so Um, to the fish fingers yeah exactly to kind of create that variation and kind of almost like weaning them off that food or trying to change it in a way so they accept accept it and then hopefully you can start introducing other foods. Uh, but would that not cause meltdowns and um, tantrums? Yeah, it, it may. So I think if it is... Um, if it is a really, you know, big problem for the, you know, family and the child, uh, we just want to make the slightest of changes. So initially it might be so small that, you know, the child will be able to tolerate it. Um, and we kind of build on from there. And then as the child accepts the changes that are being made to the food, hopefully we can make more and more changes until eventually we they're not food jagging on that food anymore and we can introduce other foods. And typically how long could that take? It varies. I think it's just dependent on the, on the child. Um, is, it, is it treatable? I mean, is it manageable? Yeah, there are ways to manage it. Okay. And um, it, might, it might take a while. So I think, you know, as parents, as stressful it is, as it is, you know, we've got to kind of hang in there and just keep going. And some children, it might not be that big a problem might take quite quick to resolve other children might take longer it kind of just is dependent on the child great okay thanks um so we've had another question um that was emailed a couple of days ago um this is from dad uh he's saying that he has a 26 month old so a child has just turned two uh sorry just slightly over two and 
his child is a boy, um, not diagnosed yet, but feels that the child may be on um, the spectrum. Um, but the child is only having purees and he's not been able to move him on to even softer foods or, or solids. Again, is that sort of typical of a sensory feeding problem? Uh, it may be. So it might be that the child, as I said before, um, that they have an aversion to textures. So maybe that's he likes his food in that puree consistency. It's smooth. It doesn't have any bumps. Um, and, you know, textures he just might completely avoid because he does have a sensory aversion. Um, the other thing with purees is it is easy to eat. If you kind of think about how we would eat a yogurt. It's yeah, fairly, don't really need to chew. Yeah, it's fairly simple. There's no chewing. Whereas when we move on to more solid foods, um, it's a little bit more complex and um, it becomes more difficult, especially with children who have sensory difficulties um, and, uh, and or oral motor deficits. So has this little one got more... Is the, re- is the cause of the dysphagia more around not having sufficient oral motor skills, which is resulting in him remaining on purees and not being able to transition onto solids? Uh, so that would kind of depend on the child, and we would be able to kind of see that in when we evaluate the child. Okay. Just kind of see specific, specifically what's going on. But there can be a link between oral motor deficits, deficits and um, sensory uh, issues. So, as I said before, um, even if you have oral motor deficits, but you are regulated, you're going to have some difficulties eating. Mm. However, if you are not regulated, but you have perfect oral mo- or good oral motor skills, you also might likely have a feeling difficulty. So, um, that would be, as I said, we would have to kind of we would be able to see when we assess the child. Yeah, so this, so as I said, this is something we'd be able to um, kind of identify when evaluating the child, whether it's um, oral motor related or sensory related or both. Yeah. Um, but something, you know, dad could do at home is trying to, um, again, going back to trying to adjust the puree consistency a little bit. Um, what do you mean adjust? Making, making the small changes, like okay. maybe, you know, not making it as smooth, um, trying to get a little bit of texture in there. Um, so a gradual approach. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Um, and also just presenting new, new foods to the child. So this is something that research has shown that you, when this is with all children, typically developing children as well. Mm. When presenting or trying to introduce a new food, you need to, a parent needs to uh, present it on, on separate occasions at least 10 times before the child will actually accept the wow. food. Wow, okay. So 10 times throughout the day or 10 on times On separate occasions, okay. Yeah. So basically... Over I a period of time. A, yeah, over a period of time. And you've got to get that repeated exposure and I think sometimes parents try like two or three times, and then they're like, "We're in a rush." To yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. this, my child doesn't like this food. We're just going to move on, you know, to the yeah. things that they do like because we don't want a tantrum. Um, so, but it actually, research has shown that it takes ten separate occasions where you need to offer this food 
until the child is able to accept it and tolerate it. And would it be useful for dad to get in touch with a the speech therapist to support him through this weaning process? Yeah, definitely. I think if it's if it's if it is a concern and it's causing you know anxiety and meal times are becoming uh, you know stressful for both the child and the family, um, and they're really struggling to move on from purees, then mm-hmm. it would be a good idea to kind of seek professional help and advice. Great. So um, I'm sure you've had this as well, Sarah, but there's always um, a bit of controversy surrounding my child is a picky eater because we know that children in general are quite fussy around eating and and, and quite picky about what they eat. Um, You know, they don't really like vegetables or they don't really like certain fruits. Um, How do we know when a child is a picky eater, but it's part of normal development, but actually know that fussy eating is something to be more concerned about? Yeah. So I think all children, or most children, go through a picky eating phase. I think yeah. there was definitely at times um, when I was a child that my mom would definitely describe me as a picky eater. Um, I do remember there was certain foods I would not eat <laughs> or try. Um, so, um, so Dr. Kay Toomey, who developed the SOS sequ- Sequential Oral Sensory Approach, uh, program, um, she distinguishes between picky eaters and problem feeders. So Dr. Kate um, Toomey, who developed the sequential oral sensory approach, yeah. um, she described or distinguished between picky eaters and problem feeders. So basically, picky, eati- p- picky eaters, <laughs> picky eaters, yes. yeah. <laughs> they generally have 30 foods or more. Um, whereas problem feeders have less than 20. Oh, that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah, I so, would have assumed it's the other way. Yeah. So picky eaters uh, are usually able to tolerate a new food. They might be a little bit hesitant, but they will um, be open to tolerating new food. Okay. Whereas problem feeders, they cannot tolerate new, fe- f- uh, new food. So they will have... A meltdown or a tantrum, like it will be a very big deal, and it will be quite stressful for the family or parents who are just feeding the child. Um, and for a child with autism, can they be one or either? Would it be either? So they're either a picky eater or a problem feeder, problem <laughs> or a problem feeder. So you can be a picky eater and a problem feeder. problem feeder, <laughs> with or without autism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so some of the other things is picky eaters, foods that are lost to burnout or a food jag, which we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. uh, can usually be regained over a short break, whereas problem feeders, this food is usually completely eliminated from the range of foods that they eat, or it takes a really long time to get that food back. Uh, another one is picky eaters generally they will eat at least one food from every food or texture group. So like proteins, fruits, vegetables, mm-hmm. um, or pureed solids. So they, they will eat one food from at least every group. Whereas problem feeders may um, or generally exclude entire food group, or groups or te- te- textures, <laughs> food groups or textures. Okay. Um, so, and that is obviously quite problematic because 
that you know can be then we start worrying about nutrition and things like that um and and is it right that we can sort of see when they're turning six months and we're starting that weaning process that they're refusing these foods because it's part of being a fussy picky eater yeah so i think these are things that kind of parents can look out for yeah you know when as you said as early as six months when you kind of you um introducing more and more foods and moving on to solid foods um and things like that so these are kind of things that parents can look out for yeah and you know if it becomes a real concern and it's meal times become increasingly stressful you know then it's advisable to you can get professional um advice and and help um, Another sort of symptoms to to look out for. Um, I'm just gonna sort of mention a few, and please please do add. Um, continually refusing or disliking trying new foods, um, aversive to particular textures, tastes, or food groups, and these are the kind of things we've spoken about today. Yeah. Um, becoming more restrictive or particular with certain foods, eating one type or one brand of food. Um, and and here's the interesting question: Do do children with so with children who have got autism and yeah. who may have, um, who do have sensory feeding difficulties, do they drink milk, okay, for the first sort of 12 months? Or do you often see when you're doing the case history that actually they've had difficulties with, with, with drinking milk either via bottle or breast? Um, again, that's kind of dependent on the child. Okay. Um, in the clients that I've had or what I've experienced, milk hasn't been... Um, a big issue um, unless there's kind of one of you know one of those cases where they have a um, lactose intolerance of course the child can't tolerate dairy then that you know can cause a number of other problems um, but yeah generally it's kind of dependent on the child I guess and, and for more sort of visual I guess um, uh, behaviors um i i've sort of seen that they often have frequent colds and illnesses so children who are fussy um eaters there's weight loss they can often be underweight exactly. and they're tired and irritable because of course there's a lack of energy yeah exactly and um a few other things um is um that you want to also look out for is kind of choking gagging um coughing vomiting because um, these are also kind of symptoms and signs that, uh, or red flags that parents can look up for when, you know, maybe they should get some professional advice. Um, okay, so you've sort of touched on the next topic, which is the vomiting. Um, because when I've seen children with autism, I've had parents report that they've eaten something and then they've vomited. Oh, they've just been diagnosed with gastrointestinal problems or reflux. Can you shed a bit of light around that? Yeah, so reflux, um, so this kind of links to kind of why reasons why children won't eat and often that can, one of them is pain and discomfort and this is something we see a lot um, in children with reflux. Uh, so what happens, um, you know, when they eat and then they get reflux, it's uncomfortable, it may cause pain um, and it decreases their motivation to eat because they start associating uh, eating food um, or drinking uh, with pain and discomfort. 
Okay. And then you kind of get that negative association and then you get food aversions. Okay, so it's an organic cause, but then it sort of develops sensory feeding difficulties. Exa yeah, exactly. Okay, so I know we touched slightly on oral motor deficits in relation to feeding difficulties. Um, are you able to go into a little bit more detail about that? Sure. So children will most likely have difficulties with eating if they have poor oral motor skills uh, because they can't or they're not able to manage or cope uh, with certain foods, textures or consistencies. What do you mean by poor oral motor skills? I mean, what are yeah. oral motor skills for our listeners? So these are the um, skills that we use in you know, our tongue, our teeth, our uh, cheeks, our lips to facilitate uh, eating and swallowing. So um, how it may present is you might have reduced tongue coordination uh, or reduced jaw strength and co coordination, uh, reduced cheek and lip strength. Um, and all these uh, kind of deficits or difficulties will impact on a child's eating and ability to cope with certain skills. So children will tend to refuse or avoid foods that they don't have the skill set um, for or to manage. So things you might see is um, food left over in the mouth, um, food falling out of the mouth because they don't have the lip closure, uh, choking or gagging, uh, things also like pocketing in the cheeks if they have reduced cheek strength. So those are kind of the things that you might see as a parent happening if your child has uh, reduced oral motor skills. So you spoke earlier on about, um, well I mean you, you informed me um, that you are a SOS feeding um, basic level one provider. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. So what, what is SOS feeding? I'm assuming, you know, I know, I know a little bit about it so it's a technique that yeah. um, therapists and families can then use and schools can use to um, help improve uh, feeding skills exactly and, and swallowing in general yeah so it sounds for I think I've said it before sequential oral sensory um, approach and this was developed by Dr. Kay Toomey okay is um, that in the UK uh, in, in America okay yeah and she is basically, a, she's a psychologist with over 30 years of experience in working with children with feeding difficulties and she developed this amazing approach. Um, and basically it integrates motor, oral, behaviour, learned, medical, uh, sensory and nutritional factors um, to evaluate and manage children with feeding difficulties. And it follows the typical developmental steps, stages, and um, skills of feeding. Um, and it basically helps children to learn about their senses and learn about food. Um, and it aims to increase the child's comfort level uh, by exploring and learning about the different properties of food. Um, and so to provide this type of therapy, you need to have gone on the training? Yes, exactly. Yeah, so they have different uh, levels of training. Mm -hmm. And in order to, you know, carry out this approach, you, you would need to go on the training. Um, and it's basically just a playful and positive approach. 
and it's really had some it's had amazing success so yeah and is that purely for sensory feeding difficulties or could it also be for difficulties that are organic in nature or um, a mixture yeah so it's a holistic approach so it looks at the um, child as a whole so you're not just looking at sensory difficulties you're kind of looking at everything so um, you know organ systems the muscles the development sen the sensory aspect they are motor skills um, their learning and behavior and nutrition and the environment in which they eat um, in so yeah and like you said um, earlier on, it's got a good success rate. So this is something that you've used and that you do use to, to treat and to manage. Yeah, exactly. Fussy Children eaters with fussy, or yeah, fussy eaters or problem feeders. Um, that's kind of why the approach was developed. Um, when, and where can people get more information um, about it? Uh, so they have a fantastic website, which is sosapproachtofeeding.com. And they have resources for parents, information for parents. There's also a referral list. So if you need to find a SOS trained therapist in your area, you can look that up and it will give you a list of all the therapists in that area. Okay. Um, and as I said, there's lots of information um, that parents can have a look at. And again, this is just, you know, sort of one approach. There are many exactly. approaches out there that, that people... Um, in schools and parents can use exactly. to support their child yeah. with the process. Okay, so if you are a parent concerned about your child's food selectivity, food or texture refusal, mealtime time tantrums, reduced food or liquid intake or swallowing, your child may benefit from feeding therapy. Feeding therapy is used to help infants and children who have difficulties sucking, chewing, feeding or swallowing. And the earlier a child is in therapy to assess these problems, the better their growth, nutrition and future eating outcomes. Um, and so that's where um, the speech and language therapist comes in, sometimes in combination with an occupational therapist or a trained medical professional that can help with feeding and swallowing therapy. So Sarah, can we explain what is feeding therapy? So feeding therapy is uh, basically just helping the child and the family uh, manage feeding difficulties um, that the child may present with. So this might be sensory difficulties, oral motor uh, deficits, um, more organic problems, you know, actual difficulties with the swallowing. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just, and also kind of helping the child um, accept new foods, you know, introduce, their, um, introduce new foods and increasing the range of, of the foods that they eat. Um, so it's quite a broad term, uh, but basically we, maybe some things that we can talk about now is the kind of techniques and strategies yeah. that parents could use at home. Part of your feeding therapy. Yeah, exactly, because, you know, when a child has feeding difficulties, it does cause a lot of anxiety and stress and um, it can be, meal times can be particularly stressful. Um, so I've kind of already mentioned exposure and repetition and that we want to present new foods at least 10 times um, to kind of help the child accept that new food. Yeah. Um, another thing that's important to kind of look into at home is the cues to eating. So, you know, who, what, 
where, when. So who's feeding the child? You know, what what are we feeding the child? Are there utensils involved? Um, you know, where's the feeding happening? Is it at you know a table? Is they're sitting on a chair? Or is it on the floor? Uh, things like that, and looking at what we can change, what cues we can change um, within that. So it might just be changing the environment that the child eat, you know, eats in, maybe. So an environment that's... Yeah, that maybe has, you know, little distractions. Um, maybe it's introducing or changing the utensils that you're using. So you can make small changes at home okay. um, that can help the child also another thing is looking at seating and posture so we want the child in a nice upright position and we want them to be supported so if the child has low muscle tone and they're kind of holding themselves up and they're focusing on their posture and we need them to focus more on the food so if we can provide that support for them and that's um, really by using a chair exactly um, because I've sometimes gone in to see children at home and they're sort of sitting on the settee mm-hmm. or running around and they've got they're a fussy eater, so it's really difficult to try and get anything uh, for them. It's, it's really difficult to get them to eat anything. Exactly. So the general kind of rule that you know parents can use is 90 degrees. The hips need to be at 90 degrees, the knees need to be at 90 degrees, and the ankles need to be at 90 degrees. Okay. Um, so you kind of want that foot support as well. And that just gives um, sort of general stability. Stability mm. in the posture, which then can help them actually focus on eating and the food that's in front of them. Um, another tip is just to try and make meal times or even, it doesn't even have to be at meal times, but kind of you want to create that those positive associations with food. So you want to make it playful, you want to make it fun, you want to make it positive. Um, and a, but I mean, in, in reality, it's hard to do because as a parent, you just kind of want to get through mealtime because <laughs> exactly. feeding your child is, is, so a, hard, is a hard task. Yeah. So sometimes it's not always about the actual mealtime. So a great way to learn about food is maybe trying to include the child in meal preparation because okay. you are you can talk about what you're doing to the food, you're changing the food, you can talk about the properties of the food. And it's interactive, they can get involved and can, you know, be quite fun mixing something or, um, you know, helping chopping things or things like that. So uh, meal prep is a great way to include the child and to help them learn about food and how we make it. Um, Another one is we want to be kind of the models for the child. So we always want them to have have them at the table with us at at the meal time so that doesn't necessarily mean that they have to eat the same foods as us doesn't mean that they have to eat um but we know that children learn through imitation yeah um so watching others and if we can model you know good eating and things like that and they can watch even if they really aren't eating themselves that's absolutely fine but we're giving them those opportunities to um, watch others eating food and interacting with food. Um, Another important one is structure. So we want to create structure throughout the day. So have, you know, specific times that meals take place. Um, 
so that can be you know breakfast snack time lunch um so another important one is structure um and this is basically having a schedule and set times for um meals and snack times and this helps children to get ready for the next meal and it helps also helps with um appetite um, and then they kind of know what to expect as well and this is also really important for children with autism because you know you, we know that they like routine and yeah. structure yeah um, so structure is really important to have those set meal times throughout the day uh, where children you know will eat so um, well, <laughs> I um, went to see a client once and um, uh, mum had a really uh, good routine set in trying to introduce new foods um, and she sort of used a gradual um, approach, um, introducing new foods in small increments. Um, so on Monday it would be um, smelling the food, on Tuesday it might be um, you know, placing the food near the lips, on Wednesday it's um, you know, licking the food, on Thursday it's holding a bite of food in the mouth. So kind of like a gradual approach to a food, yeah. but the same food but over, over the week. Yeah. And I thought that was quite, quite a useful yeah, so way that, of going about it. And... So that's kind of um, with the SOS approach when I was speaking about following typical development steps and um, stages is they have uh, uh, developed steps to eating so the first step is tolerating food and then it is interacting with the food and then smelling the food and then tasting the food and then eventually uh, chewing and swallowing the food so um, a gradual approach is you know what what we'll also do in therapy and what parents can focus on at home is kind of working through those steps to um, increase the comfort level of the child. So I talked about meal prep earlier, which is a great way to kind of learn about foods. And together. Yeah, yeah. together, um, as well as introduce new foods. So obviously we want to expand the range of foods that the child eats, especially when there is that selectivity or restricted um, intake of certain foods. Um, so I think one thing we need to do, as stressful as meal times can be, we don't want to force the child to eat anything or we don't want to like expect them to eat anything. We just want to create that positive um, you know, environment mm -hmm. with food. And sometimes we just need to start you know, at the first step, and that's just interacting with foods. Okay. Um, so if the child is able to tolerate, you know, the foods in front of them, you know, we want to touch them, feel them, talk about, you know, include all our senses, what they feel like, what they smell like, maybe what they taste like, if the child's willing to taste uh, the food. So we want to teach them that they don't need to be afraid of these, these new foods um, and just make it very fun and playful and um, using kind of exploring all of our senses and uh, slowly kind of working our way up to the mouth to eventually swallow, chewing and swallowing. Um, so again, talking about that graded approach that we talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, and what, what can parents expect when they do do a referral to a speech therapist? So they refer to speech therapy, um, you know, they're, they're going to have an assessment. Does assessment normally take place at the clinic or at the home? Um, both. So I think that also depends what parents, you know, would like. If 
some parents would like you to come to the home and some parents will come to the, uh, are happy to come to the clinic. So it's kind of just preferences and what works best for the clients. Um, so in terms of a, a feeding assessment, um, it's we're going to definitely be, there's definitely food going to be involved. Yeah. So I think we want to kind of look at our motor skills. We want to look for any sensory um, difficulties. We want to look for any postural instability. Um, we want to look at swallow safety. You know, are they, are they swallowing safely? There's no coughing or things like that. Um, and if they are coughing, what does that mean? So that's probably more linked to our organic swallowing difficulties. Okay. And um, something that we would then need to investigate further, um, you know, because it might be things like aspiration. Going down um, the wrong way. Exactly. <laughs> going into our lungs instead of into our stomachs. So um, that would then require further investigation. Um, but... I think it's also about identifying, you know, what foods can the child eat, what are they, what are um, the foods that they're refusing, so their preferred and non-preferred foods, um, and then you know discussing, you know, with the parents about how they're eating at home. So um, I think a lot of the time it's also observing. The, whoever feeds the child, feeding the child, to kind of see how they're feeding the child, what they're feeding the child, what are they using to feed the child. Um, so it's really looking at the whole picture and also the environment that they're feeding in. Is the TV on in the background? Things like that. Um, and then I think it's just about, you know, discussing the parents' concerns and coming up with a plan going forward and giving... Um, you know, discussing what they can do at home and explaining what we'll be doing in therapy. Um, yeah. Great. Well, thank you, Sarah, for coming on the show. Um, we've had, I've often had parents asking me lots of questions around, you know, my child is a fussy eater or I've noticed, you know, my child's not been eating well for the last few months and they've got a diagnosis of autism. So it's good to get um, sort of more detailed information about what parents can do if their child has got a diagnosis of autism along with sensory feeding difficulties. Um, so any last um, parting words for our, our listeners? <laughs> yes, uh, um, I think it can be, you know, feeding difficulties can be quite complicated and stressful, especially when it's, um, you know, with autism related uh, feeding difficulties. And I think parents worry a lot, which, you know, of course, it's to do with eating, and that's such a big part of, um, you know, of a child's life. Yeah, exactly, daily routine. Exactly, and, 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 and just... when a child's not eating or not eating well, you know, parents are going to be concerned. It's really stressful. Um, so I think if you are struggling at home, um, we are here to help. <laughs> so reach out and, um, you know, try some of the techniques and strategies that we've talked about today um, and definitely um, if you feel like it's an ongoing problem and it's really persisting um, then definitely seek out professional advice and we can definitely help you and and really even if it's 
not being persistent and it's yeah. the start of it and you're you know as you discussed sort of the red flags to look out for exactly you know, contact your gp and refer to speech therapist yeah. and um you're seen quite quickly because yeah. it's um it's a dis- it's a swallowing related issue exactly. so it's seen uh, quite quickly on the nhs and and in private clinics exactly well thank you sarah for great. coming on the show and that's that's been great and i look forward to having you on the show again in the future thank you so much for having me it's been great fun So if you'd like to get in touch with Sarah, you can email her on sarah-lee at unlockinglanguage.co.uk. If you'd like any particular topics covered around speech and language therapy or around autism, please do email me. Um, You can contact me on social media. My Instagram is shamina underscore rabbi. Or you can add me on Twitter, which is at ul speech therapy. Or you can get in touch with me via email info at unlockinglanguage.co.uk. Hope you all have a great week. Speak to you next week.